I want each of you, if you would, to look around you. Go ahead. Yeah. Look to your left, to your right, behind you, in front of you. I want you to notice three things about the people you're looking at. Number one, they're real people. They're not holograms. They're not cardboard cutouts like you see at the sporting events now. These are real life people. Second thing that I want you to notice is that we all have our own particular brokenness. Not a single perfect person here this morning. And the third thing that I want you to notice, that I want you to hear and process, is that you are commanded to love these people. You have to love them. Not just the people in this room around you, but the people outside of these walls as well. Not only is it a commandment, it is that, but more than that, it's a product of the heart. What this means is, is that this calling is independent of who we are. In other words, we don't get to choose who we want to love and who we don't. We are commanded to love all folks. But again, it's more than a command. It should be the essence of who we are as Christians. When my grandfather was still alive and I was very small, he took care of most of the cooking duties in his household because my grandmother was crippled and had been most of her life. And I would always bug my granddad to let me help him. And so he would often sit me on the counter and let me, you know, put in the ingredients to whatever it is he was cooking. This particular day, he was baking something. I don't know what it was. I don't remember. But he had all the ingredients there, and among the ingredients was a big bar of chocolate. At least that's what it looked like. And I begged and begged and begged that he give me a bite, and he said, Chris, you don't want a bite of that. Trust me. Well, that was the most absurd thing I've ever heard. I thought he was trying to do like the Jedi mind trick or something. Of course I want a bite of that big hunk of chocolate. And so I kept begging him and kept begging him until finally he relented and let me have a bite. And you know what? He was exactly right. That was the most disgusting thing I'd ever tasted. It looked so good. And you know why, right? You know why it tasted bad. Because it was, what, cooking cocoa or whatever you call it, baking cocoa. And if you know anything about baking cocoa, it's very bitter. It's not as sweet as it looks. When it comes to baking, when it comes to chocolate, you know, what makes it is the sugar, right? That's the key ingredient to making it taste good. And the same is true in our spiritual lives as well. The same is true in the church. If we are going to make this sweet, we've got to add the key ingredient, which is not sugar, but rather love. Love is the ingredient that makes all of this. If you want a healthy marriage, a vibrant family, a wonderful church, then the key ingredient is love. If you want a family, a marriage, or a church that rots your teeth out, then love is the key ingredient. In 1991, the Japanese government tried to get more albatrosses to come to the Izu Islands. They were endangered, and their hope was that they could get more albatrosses to come and reproduce and, 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 and repopulate the diminishing uh, group of birds that were there. And so what the Japanese government did is they took a bunch of wooden decoys and placed them in the water. And it worked, for the most part. They had many albatrosses that came to the island and began repopulating. There was one, though, one particular albatross that wouldn't play by the rules. He was given the name Deco, and Deco spent two years 
wooing the love of his life, but to no avail. He built fancy nests. He fought off rival suitors. But all he got in return were blank stares and a wooden personality. And you know why? Because the object of his affection was a fake bird. He was trying to woo one of the decoys. And obviously it didn't work. He was looking for love in all the wrong places. In 1980, Jimmy Lee came out with a song that was the theme song for the movie Urban Cowboy. He didn't write the song, but he always said that he related to it. In fact, the lead actor in Urban Cowboy, John Travolta, said the same thing, that he could really relate to the song. You may know what the song is. Looking for love in all the wrong places. It was a hit, and it was called a universal song because so many people could relate to its message, and I think so many people in the spiritual realm can as well. So many Christians are looking for love in all the wrong places. Look with me at Matthew chapter 22. And beginning in verse 34, it reads like this. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, in Jewish orthodoxy, this is called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the Shema. Notice what we said last week. Notice what it says. And on this depend the whole law and the prophets. In other words, everything the prophets spoke of, the entire basis of the old law is predicated upon love, right? Loving God, loving your fellow man. And in fact, that is the essence of Christianity, is it not? Love God, love your fellow man. You go back to Deuteronomy chapter 22. And if you use the uh, English Standard Version, you'll notice that there is a heading above chapter 22 that just reads various laws. And, And I like that because it just means this is a miscellaneous file. These are some laws that we really didn't have a category for. We just threw them all together here as kind of an addendum. So if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, it reads, You shall not see your countryman's ox or his sheep straying away and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly bring them back to your countrymen. If your countryman is not near you, or if you do not know him, Then you shall bring it home to your house, and it shall remain with you until your countryman looks for it. Then you shall restore it to him. Thus you shall do with his donkey, and you shall do the same with his garment, and and you shall do likewise with anything lost by your countrymen, which he has lost and you have found. You are not allowed to neglect them. You shall not see your countryman's donkey or his ox fallen down on the way and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly help him to raise them up. So translation here. Be a good neighbor, right? Look past your own nose. Don't just look at your life and your possessions and the things around you. See others and help others when you have opportunity. These are rightfully referred to as laws. They're commandments, but they were meant to be so much more, right? Meant to be more than just thou shalt nots or how to's. You go back to the Ten Commandments. What were the first two? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Remember those? Have you noticed how the first four commandments of the ten 
pertain to man's relationship with God, and the next six pertain to man's relationship with man. And why do you think that is? Well, I think it's obvious. You get God right, you get everything else right. We're going to talk a lot about this this year with our theme. But there is a vertical aspect and there is a horizontal aspect. The vertical is your relationship with God and the horizontal is your relationship with everyone around you. But you got to get the vertical right if you ever want to get the horizontal right. You don't start with the horizontal. You don't even start with yourself. You start with the vertical. So, if God is placed on the throne of your heart, if you bow down to Him, if He is assuming the proper place in your life, then it's going to affect how you see other people. Notice what Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, where Chris read from a moment ago. It says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So if you want a summary of the old law, Paul says, here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the law. That's what fills the law. Not just following orders, not just keeping the commandments. No, love the Lord your God, love others as yourself. That is the fulfillment of the law. And that love doesn't start with me. And that love doesn't start with others. It starts with the vertical. If I love God most, I'm going to love other people best. I will not murder. Why? Well, because God will be mad at me. Ah, not really. That's not the whole reason, right? I don't commit adultery. Why? Well, because God will be upset with me. No, there's more to it than that. I will not covet. Why? Because, because God's going to punish me for all eternity. Yes, but there's more to it than that, right? What this is about is getting first things first and understanding what relationship comes first. So we focus on the vertical so that we get the rest of it right. And you say, well, Chris, I understand that. I hear what you're saying. You start with God. Yes, everything starts with God. And, and you don't murder because you love your neighbor, right? You don't commit adultery because you don't want to hurt your neighbor. Yeah, but even that's not exactly true. That's not precisely what we're getting at. What we're getting at is the first person we don't want to offend is God. And we let that affect everything else. Because you get God right, you get everything else right. It's that top button living we talked about last week. We start with God, we start with the vertical, and so I don't commit adultery, I don't murder, I don't covet all these things that Paul mentions here, not because of what it does to other people or even to me, that's part of it, but because of what it does to God first and more, foremost. I don't want to offend a holy God. I love God, I'm fostering a relationship with God, and so I don't want to hurt Him. So I don't start with me, I don't start with other people, I don't even start with a checklist, I start with God. And if I'm as close to God as I can possibly be, then that's going to affect everything else in my life. Please hear me on this. This is important. Just doing something right doesn't mean that you're doing right. Let me explain. I heard about this husband who wanted to be more endearing to his wife. He wanted to, to give her more encouragement. So he found an app that he could download to his phone that would remind him every day to say something encouraging to his wife. And after he did it, he could swipe left and it would tell him congratulations. 
And so day after day, he told his wife things that would encourage her and that were endearing to her until after some time she asked him, she said, why do you tell me every day that I'm a good friend? And he said, well, because I love you and because I need to swipe left and get it off my phone. Obviously, that's a problem, right? Just doing something right doesn't mean that you're doing right. By the way, that wasn't meant to be a joke, so I'm not offended that you didn't laugh. But God is not calling you to check a box or to swipe left. He's calling you to a relationship. Our love has a context. And before our love can extend to someone else, it must respond properly to God. We get love wrong with others because we get love wrong with God. That's where it starts. Here's a passage of Scripture that we're going to talk a lot about this year related to our theme. It's found in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Hopefully you see the order. Vertical and then horizontal. It starts with God, and then that starting place trickles down and affects everything else that we do, everything else that we are. We don't love because we started this thing. We love because God first loved us. We have to be trained to love like this. You know, we're, we're not natural lovers like this. God went first. He's the standard. And without the proper context, we lose the standard, right? I want to introduce you to a couple of people this morning. This is Herbert and Zelmyra Fisher. They made the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest standing marriage on record in America. They were married 87 years. Herbert died a few years ago at the age of 105. Zelmyra died at the same age not long after that. But it's interesting that they were asked what makes a successful marriage. What's the key to your marriage lasting so long? And, and they said, well, one of the first things we did when we got married is we bought two rocking chairs, we placed them on the porch, and we talked to each other. But here's something else that Zelmyra said that I think is very profound. She said, marriage is not a competition. Never keep score. God has put the two of you together on the same team to win. And what is true in a marriage is true in the church, true in our relationships with other people. Folks, we are not competing against one another here. We are on the same team competing for one another. We are all trying to win as a team. 
It's important to understand that this is not a competition because real love gets twisted and it gets contorted and it gets perverted when the source of love gets bypassed. Please hear me on this. Every barrier to love in our horizontal relationships is a reflection of a problem with love in our vertical relationship. Again, we go back to the words of John, this time in 1 John 3, when it says, By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So any attitude or posture towards my brother or sister that is not loving is an indication of a poor connection with the source. It's not unlike Zoom meetings. One of the biggest frustrations with COVID has probably been Zoom meetings. You know, when somebody said amen, that's true. You know, there's always that person who can't figure out how to join the meeting. There's always, Debbie's laughing because she's had to help James many times on the elders' meetings to join. No, I'm looking at you too, Royce. There's always that person when they get on, it's blurry, and they can't figure out how the camera works. They don't, un, uh, they don't mute their mic, and so you hear everything going on in the background. Or they don't unmute their mic, and they're sitting there, and you're looking at them, and they're going, you know, and you can't hear them. There's a lot of frustration associated with Zoom meetings. Did you know that there is an app that you can download called DeZoom that will make it look like your computer is on the fritz so that you can get out of the meeting? So if you download this app and you use it in a Zoom meeting, it'll make your screen start getting jumbled, and then it'll make weird noises, and then you have have an out, right? And I'm thinking, how didn't I know this when we were doing Zoom meetings with elders? I could have gotten out of a lot of these. No, I'm just kidding. We all know what it's like to have a bad connection. We've all had a screen that looks like this probably at some point. We've all been talking on the phone to someone, and and we can't hear them, and we look down, and we have five bars, and we're saying, you know, what's the deal? Or we've all had a bad connection maybe with our car and we try to start it and it doesn't start because there's a bad connection with the battery. Or maybe you have a bad connection in your, in your marriage. We know about bad connections. And we know something about bad connections and that is that it goes back to the source, right? If you have a bad connection, if you're experiencing technical difficulties, what do you do? You go back to the source. You make sure you're, you're plugged in. And the same is true in a spiritual sense. We have bad connections because we're not plugged in to the Holy Father. Our one another problems are directly related to a bad connection. Keep reading in 1 John chapter 3. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. John says, don't be a Cain. Cain is the poster child for people who have lost connection with God. And it led to him killing his brother, so don't be a Cain. He goes on to say, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Despite what Cain thought, we are our brother's keeper. We all are. Cain asked the question, what, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, absolutely you are. We all are. We are our brother's keeper. Everyone who hates his brother is a Cain. That's what John says. Think about that for a minute. 
If you hate your brother, it's just as bad as what Cain did. Because maybe you don't physically murder them, but you're murdering them in your heart. And that's not what a Christian does. You know, folks, if we believe all this Christianity stuff, then we better do it when it's hard. Right? So many people want to bail. They want to jump ship when it gets hard. No, no. This, this is supposed to be practiced even when it's tough. You don't get a hall pass. So if we believe all this stuff, then we've got to do it when it's hard. We probably all have that someone that we have trouble loving. Maybe you've asked yourself, well, how do I love that person? Well, I tell you this, you don't start by trying to love them. You don't even start with yourself. You start with God. That's where you start. Because when you start with the other person, guess what you focus on? Their sin or the way they've hurt you, the way they've wronged you. Don't start with the other person. Don't start with you because when you start with you, you, you start with your feelings. And you can justify just about anything, right, if you concentrate on your feelings. You can try them again over and over in your one jury, you know, mind. Start with God. Get closer to Him. Love Him deeper. And it's going to affect all the other relationships in your life. I think far too many Christians are looking for love and acceptance in all the wrong places. Maybe they're looking for it in rule following. Maybe they think that if they follow all the commandments faithfully, that that can somehow earn God's favor. Or maybe they look for it in theology. They believe that if they're convicted about right things and they're bold about right things, that God will love them more. Maybe they look for it in religious activity, that if I come to church every time the doors are open, if I open my Bible up every day, if I pray three times a day, then that's going to earn God's favor. But here's what Paul said. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... But do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. You know, all the things that Paul mentions here are important. All the things I just mentioned are important. It matters what you believe. Folks, what you believe about God says everything about you. It's important to believe right things. It's important to be here at church. It's important to pray. It's important to follow spiritual disciplines. But those things are bitter if you don't have the key ingredient, right? If love is absent, Paul says, these things really don't matter. No matter how much good you do or how much good you believe, if love is absent, if that's not saturating all these things, then who cares, right? You see, I have met some Christians, and, and not many, thankfully, and maybe you have as well, that it seems like they're weaned on a pickle, right? They just can't get happy about anything. They stand for right things, they believe right things, but they're so repulsive to be around because they just want to beat people over the head with a Bible. They care more about winning a debate than winning a soul. And unfortunately, there's way too many of them on Facebook. We all know of Christians, who, you, you would think they were baptized in lemon juice, right? Because they're just so sour in their walk. And you think, how can someone who is headed towards the promised land be so just bitter and sour? How can they be so joyless? And my thinking is probably because they're not connected to the source like they need to be. Of course, this can make some people nervous, right? When you talk about love being foremost, when you talk about love 
being the catalyst behind everything we do. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, Chris, you can't just go around loving everybody. Why not? Well, you can't, you can't just show too much love or they're going to think that's what it's all about. Well, that is what it's all about. I mean, don't take my word for it. We've already showed passages. Even the master himself said that's what it's all about. Love first. It's not that the other things are unimportant. It's just that love is the catalyst behind those things. It's not that you don't do those things. It's just that you do them in love, right? This is what it's all about. The source of love is God. It's Jesus. And you do realize that's why he sent his son. To show us the heart of God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So don't take my word for it. Listen to the standard. He has made it very clear. The entire basis for Christianity and discipleship begins and ends with love. It's the most essential ingredient and it sets the tone for all that we are and all that we do. Conviction is crucial. You've heard me talk many times about the balance, the two wings on a bird, compassion and conviction. You remove one of them, the bird doesn't fly right. We've got to have both. Every biblical issue matters. What you believe about God matters. How you worship matters. But at the end of the day, love matters most because love is what drives all of those things. Discipleship begins and ends with love. If love doesn't trump everything else in your life, then truthfully, you're not being biblical. As Paul said, no matter how many right things you believe and practice, Jesus started with love. That's why he hung out with sinners, right? It's also why he hung on the cross for sinners. He went and dined with sinners. He went to the home of sinners. He didn't sidestep their sin, no. I mean, it came up in conversation, didn't it? He definitely talked about what was truth, but he started with love. Because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care about them. So that's where he started. Everything was predicated upon love because he had a vested interest in people. He wants a relationship with people, so he starts with love. Let us start with love as well. Let us not start with sin. That's not where we start. We start with compassion and love, and let that be a springboard to teaching truth and addressing sin. Let love be the reason for everything that we do. Let love take the lead in your life. I visited a church one time. You walk in, and there's a, there's a, a sign that's lit up in the background, and it just says real big letters, love first. I like that. That's what we should be about. Do you know why I love my wife? Actually, there's a lot of reasons, but the number one reason why I love my wife is because she loves me second. That's it. Because first, she loves God with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because she loves God first, she loves me best. And so when it comes to our spiritual connection with God and with other people, of supreme importance is who we love first. And for us to be a vibrant, healthy family, what's going to keep us together is not what we believe, teach, and all that. That's important. 
But that's not what's going to keep us together. You know what's going to keep us together first and foremost? The key ingredient is love. That's the glue that holds us together. That is the tie that binds. Not, other, not that those other things are unimportant, but that is most important. What's going to keep us together is love for God because that's where it all begins. We start with the source. The horizontal relationship finds its meaning in the vertical relationship because we love others best when we love God most. I got a uh, message through Facebook the other day from a gentleman who lives outside of Abilene. He had watched the TV program last week and he said, I really am looking to be a part of a church family. And he stressed, I mean a family. He said, can I come and talk to you? I said, yeah, come on. I'd love to tell you about this family. What I love about this family is that it's just that. It's a family and it's predicated upon love. I love that we believe right things and that we do right things. I love that too. But I love first and foremost that this is a family that loves people and wants to see people get to heaven. So I don't deliver this message out of an indictment or saying that we need to pick it up and do better. We do that really well. I tell people all the time, we're imperfect, but one thing we do well is we love on people. We can always love more. We can always love better. We can always love deeper. So we always continue to raise the bar and don't rest on our laurels. But I'm proud of this church family. And what's going to keep us together going forward is love, right? So, as I said in the beginning, we are all limping disciples, right? Everyone has their own unique brokenness. So can we help you this morning? Can we pray with you? Can we love on you? Maybe you're ready to study the Bible with someone. Maybe you're ready to look at what it means to be a dedicated disciple. We'd certainly love to do that. Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. Certainly we can take care of that as well. Clinton's going to lead us in a song. If we can help you, why don't you come forward as we stand and as we sing.